The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to C. diff spores and more with your hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandrabali Ghosh. We're here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here are your hosts Nancy Kerala with Dr. Chandrabali Ghosh. Welcome to C. diff spores and more. We would like to take this opportunity and thank the C. diff Foundation, our sponsor, for making this show possible. I'm your host, Nancy Kerala, with Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh, and we are here to discuss C. diff and the microbiome with our guests, Dr. Casey Theriot from the University of Michigan and Dr. Martha Cloakey from the University of Leicester in the UK. And now thank you so much. And oh. I would like to ask, uh, thank our uh, listeners and also welcome our first guest, Dr. Martha Cloakey. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it's a pleasure to be on your show and have the opportunity to talk with you today. Well, welcome to the show, Dr. Cloakey, and we're anxious to learn more about your research with bacteria-eating viruses. Yes. Well, my work is on viruses that infect bacteria, and uh, a virus, as you may well know, is a microorganism that infects another organism, whereas a, um, a bacteria uh, such as Clostridium difficile, is a microorganism that can infect us. And what my research is focused on is finding that enemy of Clostridium that infects us, so finding a, a virus um, which can be used um, to, to attack Clostridium very specifically. So um, um, all, um, all bacteria that cause infection, such as Clostridium, they have viruses that infect them. And in the same way a virus might cause you to have the flu, we can find the, the Clostridium's version of its, of its virus, which we can then use as a treatment. And Dr. Cloakey, would a, an antibiotic be able to address uh, a virus or just a bacteria? No, so antibiotics are only uh, useful for bacteria. So viruses are completely, um, cannot be treated with an antibiotic. And one of the problems with uh, that can cause um, the onset of Clostridium difficile is when people are given a broad-spectrum antibiotic, perhaps incorrectly for a virus or perhaps for another bacterium, and that also kills uh, all of the helpful bacteria. Many of the bacteria present in, in human guts are very helpful towards us, but if we Thank have you. an antibiotic, that destroys them. So, yes, no, antibiotics are not useful for viruses, just for bacteria. Thank you so much for sharing that. And Dr. Cloakey, how do you know it will, the viruses will only attack C. diff and, and not us or not useful bacteria? Well, um, a virus um, is very, very specific in what it can actually attach to so, and then what it can actually use to, to be able to replicate itself. So in the same way, if you have flu, you couldn't give it to your cat or your dog. Um, a virus that targets Clostridium, it can't be, uh, it, it's, it's so specific, the attachment process is specific, and then all of the processes that happen after that are also very targeted to that one bacteria. So it won't even infect other species of Clostridium. It will only infect um, Clostridium difficile. Interesting. And Dr. Cloakey, where do you obtain your viruses from? Well... Um, well, this is a very good question. <laughs> we tried for a long time to get um, viruses from patients who had Clostridium difficile. So in general, these viruses that infect bacteria are present wherever you find that bacteria in question. So, for example, um, if you, in, in, the, in the soil you find a lot of bacteria such as Pseudomonas and you'll find viruses for that in the soil. And actually, that turned out to be the same with, with, with Clostridium. We think of Clostridium, we know Clostridium as being an infection of humans, but actually, you can also find Clostridium in the soil and rivers and estuaries, and it's these types of environments where I was able to isolate the viruses. 
So I didn't find viruses associated with patients um, because by that point you have, you have a Clostridium strain that's escaped from all of its natural predators and it's just romping away. Whereas if you go back into places where naturally you would find the organism and viruses controlling it, that is where I was able to actually find the viruses which we've been developing therapeutically. Wonderful. So, Dr. Clokey, have people used viruses to treat other diseases? Yes, yes. The concept of using a virus to treat a bacteria is not new. Um, in fact, it's an exciting time to be talking to you because 100 years ago, <laughs> the very first virus that infects the bacteria was isolated. And actually, very soon after that, viruses were used. Um, they were developed in France and in the former USSR in, in the Republic. It was now the Republic of Georgia. They were uh, developed as, um, as um, a treatment for many different types of bacterial infection. So they were used for both enteric conditions and also topical uh, infections and various other bacterial infections. They were used very, very um, effectively. But... After the discovery of antibiotics in the 1940s, there was very little research done on this area in the Western world. So um, <clears throat> for, for really for decades, it wasn't an active area of research um, in the West. But it did continue. So actually, even until about the 1970s, you could buy um, viral products in France for different conditions. Um, so, so that's more or less the, the sort of long-term history of, um, of viruses. But more recently, because of the problems with antibiotic resistance, there's been a, a massive revival and in interest in using viruses now to treat bacteria again. So that has triggered a lot more research in, um, in, in countries such as America and in Europe. Okay, so in other words, your viruses would be a great alternative to antibiotic therapy. Yes, they would be. Um, one of the lovely advantages of using a virus over a conventional antibiotic is the specificity, this, this specificity which means that um, if a patient, for example, had Clostridium difficile, if you give them an antibiotic, even if the bacteria is sensitive to the antibiotic, you get what's known as a dysbiosis because you get killing of bacteria that you actually need in the gut. Whereas if you imagine a virus for Clostridium difficile, it's like the sort of sharpshooter. It just zaps through the gut and will zip through and kill just that one um, bacterium. So that's one uh, advantage, the specificity. But also many bacterial infections, such as um, Clostridium difficile, are um, the bacteria are present in a sort of yucky biofilm. The bacteria are chucking out nasty, sticky sugars and things that's hard for antibiotics to penetrate. And viruses have this lovely ability to be able to degrade that mucosal that sort of layer and get into where the bacteria are. And if one virus can get in, it will, it will replicate and it will release many more viruses. So you have this specific self-replicating uh, mechanism to, that can penetrate difficult areas. So there's some of the main um, advantages that a, a, a virus-based therapeutic would have for a condition such as Clostridium difficile. Very interesting. That is really good to know, too. And your research has been um, just so promising on the horizon with C. difficile. And in your lab, Dr. Koki, uh, do you have a way of uh, working with the cells and, and to try with the viruses and the bacteria? Yes, we do. So a lot of the work um, initially in the laboratory was about finding the right viruses uh, and then checking that they kill the right strains. So Clostridium is really diverse. There's over 400 recognized types of the, of the organism. So first of all, we made sure our viruses could actually replicate in these clinically relevant and prevalent strains. So then after we did that, we have indeed been showing that they... Um, we've been testing how uh, different combinations of bacteriophages better than others, and we've also been developing ways to test them in this sort of realistic setting. So we have indeed been developing um, epithelial models so we can grow gut, um, human gut cells, and we can infect them with Clostridium, and we can then see how virus effective viruses are in those models. So... Um, so the work at the moment is um, to develop the phages as a therapeutic. We're working with a, a phage company called Amplify, and they're actually funding the animal models uh, data. So obviously before we go into humans, we need to do the animal work. So that's been going on um, in collaboration with uh, my collaborators at the University of Glasgow. So 
so we, we, we've gone from finding the viruses and showing they have the right specificity to actually now um, checking they work in settings that we would like to use them ultimately in humans. Wonderful. That's, that's just so interesting. And your lab is working so hard with you. You're all working together on this. I, we know that. And with your viruses, wouldn't there, um, with, when they work with the bacteria, wouldn't there then be a decline scene in, um, in um, mortality and also um, the financial cost to healthcare systems? Yes. Um, at the moment, um, in, uh, in Britain, we have had lower numbers of um, Clostridium difficile. There's been a, a massive campaign for improved hand hygiene and um, deep cleaning of wards. But despite that, Clostridium difficile is not going away. Um, and it's also thought to get worse as, the, as we have an, an older population. People are of the susceptible um, profile to Clostridium. There are more and more people who are, who are uh, in, in that age range. So you can see it costs, um, in Europe, it costs billion, um, millions of um, euros per year. And the, the figure is also really high in the U.S. So both in terms of uh, treating patients and reducing the amount of fatalities, about 10% of people that contract Clostridium difficile do actually die of it. So we'd obviously like to re- reduce um, the amount of fatalities. But with that comes a, a clear um, health care cost implications. Um, obviously, when a patient has Clostridium in a ward, you have to isolate them, which is expensive. So <clears throat> it should be good, good for humans and good for the people who are managing our, our health care budgets too. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just something that both um, all around the world, we're all working together and trying to find uh, preventative and treatments um, in safety for patients. And through your research and your science um, and your theory, it will definitely um, work at decreasing the death rates and decreasing the financial strain on the not only the healthcare system but also on the on the patient and their families themselves. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's both. It's definitely both. Yeah, no, it's very. It's obviously it's very. It's very. It's very upsetting and distressing, isn't it? When um, when, when family members have clostridium and having to, to to nurse them and through and see them suffering. So um, yes. Um, so I think um, viruses uh, for clostridium difficile do offer uh, a, a novel um, approach. All of the different there, there are various um, different approaches that are being investigated, as you say, all, all around the world. Um, they were reviewed, different approaches were reviewed recently in a very nice review by someone called Zucker and he looked at all, um, many aspects and, uh, and came to the conclusion that viruses were indeed um, up there with the therapeutics that are really worth investigating and certainly all of our data looks, it looks promising. There's still a long way to go. It's not, it's not trivial to make a viral product. You have to, um, there are, there's a complicated regulatory pathway in the West. So I'm working with um, Amplified to try and um, uh, to try to tread that pathway. Although the regulatory authorities have been have been quite helpful, but That's it's also right. it's difficult to. One of the reasons that um, another reason that can be quite difficult to produce a virus is it's not as simple as producing just a chemical. It takes right. quite complex sort of manufacturing skills, and um, so there's that whole side of both the regulation and the production side are really being pushed by various. Um, companies and um, and um, academic and also academic company collaborations. It's going and to Dr. Cloakey, I you, I love you. Know, you if you can wouldn't mind holding that thought. We're going to take a quick break. We thank our <laughs> yeah, listeners okay. for being with us, and we will be right back after this break to continue listening and discussing this with Dr. Martha Cloakey from the University of Leicester in United in United Kingdom. Thank you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Join us November 9th, 2015 for the Raising C. diff and Healthcare-Associated Infection Awareness Conference. This event will be chaired by Dr. Mark Wilcox, Professor of Medical Microbiology at the University of Leeds, UK, and hosted at the Doubletree Suites by Hilton Hotel in Boston, Cambridge. 
For more information about the event, call us toll-free at 1-844-4C-DIFF or register starting on April 1st through the website cdifffoundation.org forward slash upcoming events. Call 1-844-4C-DIFF, 1-844-367-2343. We look forward to meeting you on November 9th. Transformational healing includes energy medicine as well as hands-on healing. Tune in every week to Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow. If you want to know more about the business and science of energy fields, chakras, and the medical and spiritual community, join our expert guests as we work together to bring you closer to your personal health vision. Transformational Healing is heard live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4CDIF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against CDIF and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for CDIF infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising CDIF awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again are Nancy Karala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Welcome back to C. diff spores and more. We are here with Nancy Karala, our co-host, as well as with Dr. Martha Clokey from the University of Leicester in the UK. We were just listening to her talk about her her, um, bacteriophages, which are viruses that attack uh, uh, C. diff specifically. And Dr. Clokey, welcome back and welcome back to our uh, listeners as well. Um, Just quickly, Dr. Clokey, I have a question. You were mentioning Mm -hmm. bacteriophages that attack uh, bacteria particularly. And I was wondering if you could uh, tell our audiences a little bit more about phage lysine therapy it's it's something that i've heard of uh, you know in the passing in the research field and i was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the phage lysine therapy in particular yes of course so um another approach that you can use when you study bacteriophages would be not to use a whole virus but just Mm -hmm. figure out which bit of the virus was doing the killing so the bit of of the virus at the end of the tail fibers that um depicts the and that detects the um, actual bacteria itself. So these, um, the, the, uh, there are genes that encode for proteins known as lysins. Now, these um, lysins can just be made. The protein, they can be made like any other protein, just, just expressed in a, um, by E. coli or some other bacteria. And then you can just have a, a protein-based therapy, which is just that one protein that can penetrate um, clostridium or whichever bacteria you make it for. Again, the lysins are quite specific. They're a little bit broader. So people have shown, for example, with um, Staphylococcus, that the, the lysins have a, a slightly broader spectrum uh, than the parent viruses that they actually came out of, which could be an advantage. So there are definitely some advantage in, in using a simpler product such as a phage lysin. The disadvantages are that you, you don't have this capability of replication. Mm-hmm. So that the nice thing about a whole phage particle is once you've got one phage in, that can then replicate. Right. Um, but there, so there are, um, there are some, and there's not an awful lot of work going on on Clostridium difficile lysins. People have been able to, to make them and show that they work. Um, but for other bacteria, uh, a lysin-based products um, do, do look quite promising. So I think at the moment what we need is um, investment and research into both strands, and it's going to be, um, we can see it's, there are going to be some diseases probably where whole phages will be advantageous and others where lysins are going to um, um, offer solutions. So, yes, it's another nice thing about uh, studying viruses as actually just figuring out that just studying out the mechanism and, and finding they can be a nice source, almost like a treasure chest of new um, antimicrobials such as their lysins. 
Absolutely. Thank you again for addressing that question. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Chandra and Dr. Ghosh. Uh, thank you, Dr. Cloakey. Um, Dr. Cloakey, can you tell us and the listeners a little bit about where you are with your research program at this time? Yes, of course. So, um, as I was saying before the break, we we've, we now have a really um, a, a set of viruses that have the right target specificities in terms of the clinically prevalent and um, the most uh, aggressive strains of Clostridium difficile. So we have a set of viruses, and now what we're doing is um, validating them in in more complicated models. And also we're working on how to um, produce uh, a product, how to scale up the product. And meanwhile, the company um, Amplifier are are sorting out the the downstream, the regulatory, and the more specialized production costs. So um, sort of uh, processes that we need to go through. So, so we're at the stage now where we're doing um, the, the sort of more advanced validation that will take us into clinical trials. Okay. And so your, your research will be moving into clinical trials hopefully soon? Yes, we hope so. We hope to be um, moving, moving that way within the next um, perhaps two or three years, um, I think would be a realistic timescale. Wonderful. Well, we're looking forward to that, and we are um, looking forward to hearing more about your um, your future developments in your research and with the bacteria uh, virus bac- eating the bacteria to uh, to eliminate the C. difficile spores. So, we want to thank you, Dr. Cloakey, um, for your input and for joining us today. And do you have any closing comments you'd like to share with us? Oh, I'd just like to, well, thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to discuss my, my research. And, of course, thank you to all my students um, in the lab who worked very hard to, to, to get this data. And thank you to um, Amplify, who's uh, funding the um, therapeutic development of these pages. Well, thank you. Dr. Ghosh, do you have any other further questions for Dr. No, Cloakey at this time? I just wanted to thank Dr. Cloakey for us signing in from all the way in the UK to discuss with our listeners her interesting research, obviously the age-old you know, saying, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It obviously holds true for Dr. Cloakey's research. And thank you again, Dr. Cloakey. Um, I would now like to uh, invite Dr. Therio to our show. Dr. Therio is a research investigator in the Department of Internal Medicine at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Dr. Therio has been in the forefront of CDF research and has published some very interesting research um, articles in the last few years. Dr. Therio, could you tell us a little bit about your research background and welcome to the show. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the invitation today. Um, my research background is actually very diverse. Um, I've spanned the fields of molecular microbiology, protein biochemistry, microbial ecology, and bacterial pathogenesis. Um, I started as an undergraduate researcher at the Department of Microbiology at the University of Georgia, where I started very getting very interested in gut bacteria, specifically the bacterium disulfovibrio in the intestinal tracts of primates that were exposed to mercury from amalgam fillings. From there, I actually went on to receive a fellowship at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, uh, which is an ORISE fellowship, uh, where I was able to work with the National Antimicrobial Resistance Monitoring System, uh, where I was working on a collection of clinical pathogens uh, that were sent to us from around the United States that were resistant to many different antimicrobials. Um, I did susceptibility testing, and I was looking at these clinical isolates, specifically Enterococcus, uh, Salmonella, and Campylobacter, and it was at the CDC um, where I really enjoyed uh, learning, and it really pushed me to apply to graduate school, provided a very strong foundation for scientific research. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, I went to graduate school at North Carolina State University where I worked on something very different. I was working on uh, metalloproteases from archaea or pyrococcus furiosus, which is grown in deep hydrothermal vents at the bottom of the ocean. Um, and we're using these pyrococcus species um, for developing a protein that actually could deactivate sarin gas. So I'm working on very different things in my past, (laughs) Um, but the idea here is that 
I have a very strong training in biochemistry and protein structure, and really it has been wonderful for helping me with my current research area, which is analyzing the structure and function of the GI tract, specifically the microbiota and the metabolome and its role in C. diff pathogenesis. Um, mm-hmm. From there, I went to my postdoc, uh, which I'm currently um, kind of rising up the ranks here at Michigan to assistant professor in September. Um, and I came to work with my mentor, Dr. Vincent Young, who is a leader in microbial ecology and bacterial pathogenesis. And it's really at Michigan where this, you know, this research um, we have here is very multidisciplinary, it's collaborative, and we're trying to bridge basic research with clinical translational research. So for my postdoc for the last four years, I've been looking at and focusing on how the GI tract microbiota, the bacteria in the gut, um, really interplays and interacts with the pathogen C. diff. Um, as we know, it's a very significant re-emerging public health problem. It is the leading cause of antibiotic-associated colitis and is responsible for significant morbidity, mortality, and increased healthcare costs. And really, my research is um, showing that antibiotics alter the gut microbiota and also the metabolome. So the microbiota is the collection of bacteria in the gut and the metabolome is actually the collection of small molecules or metabolites. And this can be from, you know, produced by the bacterium. This could also be produced by the host. And really, we're showing that antibiotics alter this environment, allowing for C. diff to actually spores to germinate and also to grow in the large intestine. Um, currently, I'm characterizing the mechanism and with respect to antibiotic usage and really looking at the whole system of the gut. Um, right now, I am a research investigator at University of Michigan, and I'm, trans- I'm actually just received an assistant professor position at North Carolina State uh, College of Veterinary Medicine, where I'll be transitioning this summer, continuing my research looking at C. diff in humans and in animal models, but... Uh, in a different state and in a different school as well. So, um, yeah, thank you very much for having me here today. But that's a little bit of my research background. Um, so I will definitely be transitioning to assistant professor uh, this summer. Well, congratulations to you from all of us. And I'm sure our listeners as well as Nancy and I wish you all the best. And uh, we will be going to break in a little bit. But uh, just so we know that, uh, you know, your research, we've been following your research for a couple of years now. And, you know, when... I've, I remember reading a lot of Dr. Young's work when I was much younger during my uh, postdoc years. And, uh, you know, the concept of my, the microbiome was such a big deal. It's like it's, it was a new concept. It was a hot concept and everyone was looking at it. And now you've done such great work. And I'm sure we'll be listening, uh, like we'll be hearing more from you after we come back from the break about the metabolome. You know, that's another new word. And I'm sure like our, you know, listeners would love to hear a little bit more about that. And again, Thank you. Congratulations on your new job. We're all very excited for you. And um, we will be going to a break in a short while. And when we come back, Dr. Theriot, please do tell us more about your current research. Thank you. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Biohacking for Health is working with your individual biology to gain access to and control over the systems within your body. It allows you to explore your biology and improve health and wellness. Each of us has unique genetic profiles and physiology that require individualized approaches. On Biohacking for Optimal Health, Dr. Daniel Stickler and his expert guests provide a roadmap to navigate the world of biohacking human potential. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. To help support the C. Diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. Diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. Diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. Diff awareness and help save lives. 
donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Join us November 9th, 2015 for the Raising C. diff and Healthcare-Associated Infection Awareness Conference. This event will be chaired by Dr. Mark Wilcox, Professor of Medical Microbiology at the University of Leeds, UK, and hosted at the Doubletree Suites by Hilton Hotel in Boston, Cambridge. For more information about the event, call us toll-free at 1-844-4C-DIFF or register starting on April 1st through the website cdifffoundation.org forward slash upcoming events. Call 1-844-4C-DIFF, 1-844-367-2343. We look forward to meeting you on November 9th. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. are listening to c diff spores and more if you have a question please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org now back to our program here again are nancy karala and dr chandra bali ghosh welcome back to c diff spores and more i'm chandra bali ghosh with our co-host nancy karala from the c diff foundation today we have as our guest dr therio from the university of michigan and she has been telling us a little bit about her research on C. diff microbiome and its effect on our gut metabolome. Dr. Therio, do tell us a little bit more about your current research in your lab. Sure. Um, we have many different uh, aspects that I'm working on in Dr. Vincent Young's lab, and also I will be taking with me to my lab. Um, but really, to study the relationship between the host and the pathogen, we've developed a very novel mouse model that approximates C. difficile infection in humans. So in this model, uh, we use a broad-spectrum cephalosporin, which is one of the main um, risk factors for C. difficile infection in humans, uh, called cefepirazone. And it's administered to mice to disrupt the indigenous gut microbiota, and it renders mice susceptible to C. difficile infection. So prior to antibiotics, mice and humans have something called colonization resistance, where it's the ability to resist colonization to pathogens, including C. diff. And we know that antibiotics alter this and decrease colonization resistance. Really, we're trying to find the mechanism of colonization resistance um, against C. difficile. So really what we're looking at after antibiotics, or what I look at, is a look at the changes in the gut microbiota, so what the bacterial community looks like before and after antibiotics, And we also look at, or I look at, the gut metabolome, which is the total collection of metabolites or small molecules that are present in the GI tract or in a system. What we do is we're looking at high-throughput techniques uh, via 16S RNA gene sequencing. So we're basically sequencing this particular gene in the actual gut um, to look for and classify which bacteria are present. And then we also look at the gut metabolome in that same environment before and after antibiotics. So we're looking at any metabolites that are very important that we know are important for C. difficile spore germination, growth, and also metabolites that could potentially cause disease. So following antibiotic treatment, a lot of the data that I've shown so far are published, we see this um, major increase in bile acids specifically an increase in primary bile acids. We also see an increase in carbohydrates and amino acids, as well as a decrease in fatty acids, secondary bile acids, and diapeptides. What this is showing is it's reflecting a diminished metabolic activity of the gut microbiome. The other thing that's quite interesting is we know that a lot of these metabolites, specifically primary bile acids, C. difficile spores can actually utilize this to germinate. Uh, once they germinate, they can go into a vegetative state where they're metabolically active. And we know that they can utilize a lot of the carbohydrates and sugars that are present after antibiotics for growth. So what this is showing us is that after antibiotics, depends on the antibiotic, um, but specifically this one, the third-generation cephalosporin, we've created a wonderful environment for C. difficile spores that can now germinate they can actually grow to high levels. And once they grow to high levels, they can actually produce toxins. And at that point, that's what causes disease. So the idea of this is to understand 
this system so that we can potentially interrupt, um, you know, this progression from germination, growth, and toxin production and prevent disease. So that's one area of study that I'm working on and continually working on, specifically now looking at bile acid metabolism. And I'll get back to that a little bit later. Some other things that we're working on, in addition to studying how antibiotics alter the gut microbiota prior to C. difficile infection, I'm also interested in how antibiotics affect existing C. difficile infection. So we know that antibiotics, metronidazole and vancomycin, are currently the standard treatment options to treat CDI in humans. Relapse of C. diff is a major problem presently with more than 30% of patients relapsing after successful antibiotic treatment. So to further define the relationship between the microbiome host and pathogen, I've tested the efficacy of a, uh, another antibiotic, tigacycline, as a potential therapeutic for C. difficile infection, as most strains are sensitive to this broad-spectrum broad antibiotic. So using this similar C. difficile infection mouse model, we've determined that tigacycline actually decreases colonization resistance and it fosters C. diff colonization and infection. Moreover, we assessed whether tigacycline is capable of preventing and treating C. difficile infection in a relapsed mouse model. And in contrast to vancomycin treatment, tigacycline does not decrease C. diff bacterial load in the mouse after treatment. However, it significantly decreases toxin activity and spore formation, delaying establishment of infection. So understanding how antibiotics affect both the gut microbiome and the pathogen is vital for identifying future therapeutics for treatment of human CDI and potential recurrent infection. So this is another area of research I'm very interested in, understanding the interplay between the antibiotic itself and the resulting perturbation of the gut microbiome structure and the function of human in human disease. Um, again, I've told you a lot about mouse models that we're mm-hmm. utilizing, which are quite important um, but something else that we're really excited about and interested in is going beyond the mouse model and looking at uh, human CDI, so basically C. difficile infection in humans. And one way we're looking at this is in an effort to understand how the gut microbiota allows for C. diff colonization, we are employing a translational research approach. So at, at <laughs> University of Michigan, currently we are consenting and enrolling patients who have multiple relapses of C. difficile infection and are getting a fecal transplant procedure. And I know most of you have heard about fecal transplantation. Mm-hmm. Um, patients that continuously fail traditional treatment with severe CDI have had success with fecal bacterial therapy, which restores colon homeostasis by reintroducing normal bacterial microbiota from a donor's stool. Um, and we're in the process of collecting multiple stool samples over time, so about, you know, six months or more, uh, from fecal transplant recipients pre- and post-transplant alongside stool from their donor. And really, from this research, we hope to gain a better understanding of how the GI tract restores this colonization resistance against C. difficile by analyzing the fecal microbiota and the metabolome, as I've told you before, the two approaches we use in the mouse, before and after the fecal transplant itself. And so really by leveraging the mouse model and also looking in human, uh, you know, feces is really what we have available for samples, we're hoping that we understand, you know, we're searching for a mechanism of how to really restore colonization resistance against C. diff. And really, we think bacterial therapy uh, could potentially be uh, a wonderful treatment in the future. So for the next three years, um, I've just received another project I'm working on, and we're working on a lot of projects, um, is, and this is a project I'll be taking with me to North Carolina State, is that I received a, a KO1, which is a Mentored Research Scientist Development Award from the NIH, and it's a metabolomic-centric grant. And what, I'd be, what I'm looking at now in the next couple of years is looking at shifts in the GI tract metabolome during C. difficile infection. And as I told you, the metabolites are small molecules present in the gut. We know that a lot of these metabolites are very important for C. diff pathogenesis. We know that they're important for spore germination. We know that they're important for growth 
and we know that they're potentially important for modulating uh, or there's indications that they're important for modulating this toxin production. So if we can look at, in a mouse model, we can look at the metabolome in the gut throughout C. difficile infection, we can potentially start to understand which small molecules C. difficile is requiring for growth and toxin production. And if we can understand that, then maybe we can start to alter these metabolites or add them back in so that we can start to modulate this disease process in -hmm. the mouse and then ultimately in the human, uh, you know, obviously once we've um, discovered them or elucidated uh, the metabolites. So those are the things I'm working on um, right now. And then something I'm really starting to get very interested in um, is bile acid metabolism as well. So bile acids are very important for C. difficile spore germination. Um, They're also important for inhibition of C. difficile growth. And it's very uh, intricate with bile acids. So the host makes primary bile acids. They're uh, basically derived from cholesterol. And then once the primary bile acids make it through the small intestine, most of them are absorbed in in the small intestine 3% to 5% make it to the large intestine where they are converted via the microbiota in the large intestine. This conversion is very important for keeping C. difficile at bay. And so if we can understand how these bile acids are altered after antibiotics and, and really understand the physiological concentrations before and after antibiotics and how they alter C. diff pathogenesis, we might be able to modulate C. diff pathogenesis. So we're looking at this, we're looking at metabolites, that's the main thing, how the microbiota, how the bacteria in the gut before and after antibiotics actually alters these metabolites, whether it be the bile acids, sugars, amino acids that we know C. difficile can utilize for, you know, growth and proliferation in the gut. And so that's the, the main focus of my research going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've really done a lot, but we are really just beginning um, this process as well because a lot of the technology is starting to come online. And that's so basically a lot of people doing microbiome work are now doing the metabolome because the metabolome is actually the small molecules that the bacteria could be producing, the host could be producing. At C. difficile, the bacterium itself is actually seeing in the gut and right. interacting within the gut. So I think it's going to be very important moving forward. Absolutely. And Dr. Theriot, this I would like to take this opportunity to thank you. Uh, your work sounds fascinating, and I'm sure we'll hear more from you in the next uh, you know, few years as you move to your new location to do much more of this metabolomic research. And you know, we look forward to re- reading about your papers and also you know, talking about your papers on our CEDAF Foundation website. So... Again, our listeners, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, Nancy Kerala from the CDF Foundation is going to take over. Thank you and please listen on. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Join us November 9, 2015 for the Raising C. diff and Healthcare-Associated Infection Awareness Conference. This event will be chaired by Dr. Mark Wilcox, Professor of Medical Microbiology at the University of Leeds, UK, and hosted at the Doubletree Suites by Hilton Hotel in Boston, Cambridge. For more information about the event, call us toll-free at 1-844-4C-DIFF or register starting on April 1st through the website cdifffoundation.org forward slash upcoming events. Call 1-844-4C-DIFF, 1-844-367-2343. We look forward to meeting you on November 9th. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4CDIF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against CDIF and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for CDIF infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising CDIF awareness and help save lives. 
Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Do you or does somebody you know face an ongoing battle with addiction? Our nation's drug problem is getting worse as we spend billions on the judicial system. It's time to fight the demand for drugs and not the supply. Listen for I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen, who has experienced both IV heroin addiction and recovery and is now here to both help and educate you with his story and engaging guests. There are great resources available for recovery, and there is hope. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again are Nancy Karala and Dr. Chandrabali Ghosh. Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is on. This is Nancy, and welcome back to CDF Spores and More. We have been listening and discussing with our guests, Dr. Casey Ferrio and Dr. Martha Clokey, uh, on their research with C. difficile. And once again, we thank them for joining us today. We wish them, along with all the dedicated scientific researchers, continued success, and we look forward to hearing back from them soon with updates on their research. In the news right now, uh, we'd like to welcome Dr. Fred Zarr, MD, medical correspondent to see Dipspores and more. Dr. Fred Zarr is a professional of clinical medicine, vice head for education in the Department of Medicine, and program director of the Internal Medicine Residency at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Over the last two decades, Dr. Zarr has been a pioneer in the study of the treatment of Clostridium difficile disease and the need to stratify patients by disease severity. We have some questions that Dr. Zarr was able to address and answer for our patients and individuals who emailed their questions to us last week. And the first question was received by Mona G. And Mona asks, what are the chances of developing a C. diff infection a second time? The answer is 20% of patients relapse after treatment with the current first-line drugs, and of those, 40% will relapse a second time. The relapse rate with phyto, phyto, I'll get this right, vadexamycin, okay, which we commonly know as Dipicid, is not currently a first-line drug. It's only 10%. The next question was submitted by Fran M., and Fran asks, do people who survive a C. diff infection while on antibiotics become carriers? Over 95% of patients with C. diff survive and may carry the organism for several weeks. Six months later, the carrier state drops down to a baseline of 1% to 3%, unless they have additional health care exposures. And our last question for today is from Lisa H., and Lisa asked, if, a, if I had to take an antibiotic to treat a bacterial infection, will I contract a C. diff infection once again? Good question. And the answer is, taking an antibiotic will only cause a C. difficile infection if you are colonized with C. difficile or acquire a C. difficile infection while on or several months after taking an antibiotic. So currently, character carriers are at the highest risk of getting C. diff if exposed to an antibiotic again. How would a patient know if they were a carrier? When the PCR test result is positive and the patient is without symptoms. And that's our questions and answers for today. Please make sure to email the show at info at cdifffoundation.org. And we will definitely address your, your questions either on the radio show the next week or we will email the answers back to you. And um, next week, please join us when we will ha- welcome our guests from Sanofi Pasteur, Dr. Felter, Dr. Petrobon, 
and Dr. De Bruin as they discuss C. diff infections and Sanofi Pasteur's vaccine program. Again, we wish to welcome and thank Dr. Ferio and Dr. Mara Fakloki for joining us today on our show. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. And Dr. Chandra um, Ghosh, do you have anything you'd like to add at this point? I would like to thank all our listeners as well as our guests on the show today. As Nancy has said many times, none of us can do this alone and all of us can do this together. And, you know, sometimes we forget that there is a lot of research going on in the background that sometimes we don't hear about. We hear about, you know, the final products when we see the drugs in the market or we see the vaccines in the clinical trials. But there are so many people, so many you know, lab technicians, so many graduate students, so many undergrads even who, you know, work away in the labs behind the scenes to, you know, and we're all looking forward for a cure, for a treatment, for anything really that can stop the C. diff uh, epidemic, you know, in its track. You know, we heard from Dr. Cloakey today, she's looking at viruses that attacked bacteria. We heard from uh, Dr. Therio today, who's looking at, you know, bacterial side, uh, you know, byproducts that can maybe protect, you know, or prevent C. diff from colonizing humans. And she's looked at this in mice and she's going to be looking at this in humans as well. So we have, you know, there's a lot, this is an exciting time for C. diff research, but at the same time, you know, we are all working together and we are all looking to, uh, you know, for a cure for this disease. And, you know, at this point that's, you know, and we are all thankful for all these people, you know, in the research field, in the medical field, who are working towards the same goal and, you know, with our patients in our minds. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ghosh. And we have a quick shout out to um, our patients who are survivors and our our listeners who are survivors. Um, We dedicate each show to you. And we know that it's very difficult uh, going through a C. diff infection. And it's also difficult for the families And all we can say is never lose hope. And we wish our niece um, all the best tomorrow as she goes into surgery. And she's very well versed on C. diff prevention, has her placards ready to show everybody at the hospital to wash their hands and has her germicidal wipes ready. So we wish her the best in a successful procedure. And we thank you for tuning in today to today's show. Thank you so much for joining us, um, Dr. Ghosh, and thank you for your time, and we thank our listeners for joining in. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your hosts, Nancy and Dr. Ghosh, again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. 